2: comes out on July 1st, and it is truly a labor of love. I hope you'll pre-order, order, and join me on tour as I go across the country. You can find out more at ZibbyOwens.com or BookendsMemoir.com, and you can follow me on Instagram at ZibbyOwens because I always post about everything. Enjoy the show. Evangeline Lilly is the author of The Squicker Wonkers Act 2, The Demise of Lorna the Lazy, Evangeline is a passionate reader and writer who made her publishing debut in 2014 when she introduced the Squickerwonkers to the world. Though better known for her portrayal of iconic characters in film and television, like her starring role in Lost, The Hurt Locker, Real Steel, The Hobbit, Ant-Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp, the Canadian actress spends all her downtime creating worlds of her own. She says, "Acting is my day job. Books are my life." And you can listen to our past episode on this podcast as well when she talked about the first Squicker Wonkers book. Welcome back, <laughs> Evangeline! I'm so excited you're here again on Moms do Time to Read Books to discuss your latest Squicker Wonkers edition, Lorna the Lazy, right? Yes, oh, the my demise gosh. of
0: Lorna the Lazy.
2: Yes, which I couldn't believe the ending. <laughs> <laughs> I mean anyway. Go, 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 go. go ahead. I mean I knew no, was I was say, well, well, you you you've got you should believe the ending if you've read the demise of Selma the Spoiled, because you should be very readily prepared for the <laughs> I know <laughs> you, I, end. you know how logically you know what's coming, but then when it happens, you're like, No. <laughs> anyway.
0: Yeah you know what? I think that is exactly how children feel when they make bad choices. They kind of know what's coming, but then when my mom and dad actually come down on them and be like, you are grounded, they're like, what? So right. <laughs> like, how did you not know you were going to be grounded? You do exactly what you're doing the whole time. You did it intentionally. You did it against all of our rules. And you're surprised at how this
2: ended? <laughs> So true. It's like you hold your breath and just wish, and then yes, yes. you have to go. And of course, breath. it never happens that way. Yeah, very true. Okay, so we were just chatting. You came on this podcast. We were here in person together, what two plus years ago, and had this very emotional, amazing podcast where I was like crying, and I think <laughs> about it all the time still. You were talking about, you know, when when we falter, and then people are there to like catch the balls and catch us as we're falling, and the safety net. I, it was so great, and. Anyway, it's been so nice to keep in touch. And that was your first book in this whole series. So maybe people haven't listened to the whole series to know about the squicker Wonkers. So give a little backstory on your whole children's book series and how that came to be and how here we are at number two. All right. Well, it's a very long saga. So I'll try to it <laughs> short because it started when
0: I was 14 years old and I was a late bloomer when it came to reading. And I was so at 14, I was really into Dr. Zeus. And I, I think it's sort of a double, it's a, it's a two-sided thing. So one, I was a bit late to bloom into reading, but two, I think that there's always a rediscovery of Zeus when you get older, because as a kid, it's just cute and funny. And then there's some point in maturity 30, where you reread a Zeus book and go, oh my God, there are some of the most profound life lessons ever in these little stories. And I think that was kind of happening to me a bit at 14 and I was inspired and I wanted to write my own stories like that. And so I wrote a story called The Squicker Wonkers and I read it to my mom and my mom was like, this is amazing. You <laughs> you should publish this. And I was like, you're my mom. You think everything I do is amazing. I'm not going to publish this. <laughs> and she kept pestering me about it for, you know, just periodically, like over the years that passed after that, she would say, what did, whatever happened to that little poem you wrote that was so good. And you know, you should really try and publish that. And so, cut 2 I'm a full-blown adult, I have my first child, I'm filming The Hobbit, I've become, you know, an actress, and my whole life is completely changed. And I'm working with Peter Jackson at a place called The Weta Workshop, where all of the creative stuff happens for his movies, all of the armor is made, all of the costumes are made, all of this, like, v- special effects that are actually real and physical are made and then applied to the film. And it's such an inspiring place to be. And everyone who works there is encouraged to have their own little pet projects that they work on and uh, kind of like Google how they encourage you to, to be always doing something of your own on the side. And I was like, I want to be doing something of my own on the side. You know, I want to have my own little pet project. And so I brought, I think about five of my stories. I've i have always written stories. I've always been writing since I was really, really, really young. And I brought about five of my stories to the head of the workshop and said, do you know any illustrators who might be interested in partnering with me on any of these? And a, a young man by the name of Johnny Fraser Allen really responded. And he said, if I were to do any of these, I'd like to do the squicker wonkers because I have a very strong visual idea for this book. And he brought the book to life visually. And so it's a story about 10 vice-ridden marionette puppets who all cannot seem to get past their vices. They, they, there's Lorna the lazy, there's Andy the Arrogant, Mama the Mean, Gillis the gluttonous, there's there's all, you know, just a, s- a slew of them. And, and hopefully, across the 10 characters, we touch on something that every child reading these books will be able to relate to in themselves. And they go on these journeys that ultimately are cautionary tales for modern day brats a tradition that I think has been uh, lost to our detriment I think it's really healthy for kids to be told cautionary tales as well as redemptive stories and I think the pendulum has really shifted nowadays to mostly redemptive stories and there is redemption ultimately in the squicker wonkers but first they have to eat their just desserts and so the book the series is going to be 20 books eventually it's wow. two series of 10 books each one book for each character and the first series is called the demise series so in each book each character comes to an unfortunate demise
2: <laughs> <laughs> very dark i love that like you, you at 14 were writing these incredibly dark fairy tales, like this whole twist on life. And I was sitting there like writing about how I felt when I had gained 10 pounds and like writing (laughs) it for 17 magazine. And you're just like twisting Dr. Seuss. And it's like, (laughs) I would love our 14 year old selves to meet. (laughs) Totally. My mom used to all, to
0: this day, she always says to me, I don't understand how my very soft Sweet nature daughter writes such dark things, you know, and she's sense of it. But I'm always, I always ask myself the same question because I actually don't like to watch dark things, I don't like to read dark things. So why do I write dark things? Like why that one comes out of me? And I think that if you are one of those people, so I'm a perfectionist, and so I'm one of these people who spends my whole life trying to get everything exactly right. And I think that there's no room in that for the wrong in me or the darkness in me or the shadow side of me. And I think that as a very young person, I realized that there was this really safe and constructive place that I could explore that stuff. And that was through art. And so that's where I channeled any of my pain or any of my darkness or any of my struggles with my own vices or my own things about myself that I wasn't so proud of. And that way I could keep the external me squeaky clean (laughs) and, you know, not dive. Like I was never, I was never a big like partier or drug taker or like I was never the wild child rebel. I think that all comes out in my art.
2: (laughs) I cut school once and it was like the most rebellious thing I ever did. Right. Yeah. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And I still like went back for the school play that night.
0: (laughs) So where does your darkness come out?
2: How does that get out of you? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't I don't have that same... I mean, I don't know. Mine is more like coming out an anxious mess, you know, <laughs> <laughs> versus like, you know, there are different ways to be dark, I feel like. <laughs> Absolutely. But with your perfectionism, I mean, it's funny when you're saying that because I'm thinking, well, even perfectionists are often open now about what lies just below the surface. Do you know what I mean? I feel like before, maybe pre-Instagram, pre-authenticity movement, essentially, you could just like be like, oh, I did all my homework and I got these good grades and I did this and I'm doing this and that and the other thing and I'm just going to keep going and I'll keep all my stuff to myself. And now, at least for me, and I know for you, like, okay, well, here I am like laying on the floor like a mess. I'm going to post this. I'm going to share this. I'm going to like come forward. Like, so tell me about your, you know, what makes you do that and share and be open. And if it's really helped you.
0: Well, I have to say that's still something that I constantly grapple with as I'm, I'm a bit too old to be completely reinventing every single element of my, of my being, I think, because I, I see the authenticity movement and I think it's beautiful. And I go, that's been in me all along. So Mm -hmm. I was always somebody who was writing memoirs and never publishing them. I would just write them and be like, I wouldn't care if everyone in the world knew about all this stuff. You know, this is fine for me because it feels like a point of connection. Mm -hmm. It feels like a point of compassion. It feels like a point of empathy. And so I always was like, yeah, we should. I, I never felt like I had to really hide the darkness. But then when I would look at what I actually manifested in my life and the things that I actually made public, I realized I kept a very tight lid on everything. So I wasn't ever publishing those memoir type things. And I was always very cagey in interviews. And I'd be I got a reputation in the sort of journalistic field and the magazines and whatnot as being somebody who wouldn't tell you anything about herself or her private life or. You know, I didn't want the world in that. Um, it felt very sacred to me and like something where others didn't belong. And then I, as I watched the authenticity movement grow, I, of course, again, intellectually was like, this is where I belong. This is who I am. And this is what I want to do. And I And I dipped my toes in the water a number of times. And I continue to to this day. And there is a certain point where I sort of reach a wall and I go, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like this is for everyone because this is for people who I trust. And you can't trust everyone. And then I I do think that there is a balance to be had. I was watching, uh, forgive me for bringing it up, but I was watching some images of the Oscars red carpet.
2: You're allowed then, to bring up the
0: Oscars. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know they're like, it was like, people are really sick of hearing about the Oscars and the, the Will Smith thing. And you sure. know. but I, I just found myself realizing that after so many years of feeling like the Oscars were too stuffy, too pent up, too obsessed with like the class and sort of mystique of it all. And I wanted to like let my hair down and be a little bit more crazy and stylish and wild and cool and just being frustrated for like 18 years of my career. Watching that happen now, I kind of understand the value of what was happening before a lot better. (laughs) You know, I'm like, there is some value to, there is a balance to be had. There is a balance to be had between like completely taking away any space for reserve
2: mm-hmm.
0: and containment and just bleh, like everybody just sort of spewing all over everybody else all the time without any discernment Yep. versus the completely bottled up version of society where nobody's ever allowed to admit that they have a problem. No one's ever allowed to have a hair out of place. I think that we hit that balance when I
2: was in my like youth and you know young adult life, I think you are you were, so not old. You're people are listening to this; they're gonna think you're like eighty five years old. Like <laughs> I'm not. I'm too old for that. In my youth, I did this. You know, you're like younger than I am. This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very
0: middle aged right now, like extremely. I I'm forty two, and as soon as I turned forty, there was this part of me that was like, I am now in training to be an elder. I I must fulfill. Yes, I must fulfill my role as a mature adult. Like there is so, there are so many people at my age who are still trying to be twenty, and I don't think they're doing anyone any favors in doing that. Like I just feel like we need maturity, we need elders, and it's time for me to step up and be that.
2: (laughs) I don't know. I still like call my dad. I'm like, do you think I should take this medicine? Do you know, like. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And and I'm like, I'm 45 years old. Why am I calling my dad for his advice on like what medicine to take (laughs) for COVID? Do you know what I mean? It's like ridiculous. So yeah, I don't know. Uh I don't know that there's an age where you're really truly a a grown up, but yeah, I will say age has performed some indignities, particularly like the reading glasses and like all the things that I'm just like, oh, welcome to my forties. You know, it's like, thanks.
0: I'm there as well. I have reading glasses as well now. And, but I love them. I think they're so cool. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. I love, I love the juxtaposition that's already organically arisen in this discussion between you and I, because you recently wrote a children's book. Also this, the amazing princess charming and the juxtaposition between our two books could not be more (laughs) so funny.
2: <laughs> I have to send, I'll send you a copy after this. Um, I can't,
0: I've read it, but I can't wait to actually it. No, I, I will send I want it. a copy. I want a hard copy of yours too. Yeah. I will send you one for sure. <laughs> so you have this successful podcast career. You have this successful career as an author of these amazing anthologies. What made you decide you had to put your hat in the
2: ring, writing a children's book? It didn't even happen like that. So I as you know, I think I don't know if you've been to one, but anyway, I have these author salons downstairs here in my house, and like one. But I am quite jealous. They sound awesome. Anytime you're in town, you know, I'll just have one for you. We can have like a big celebratory party. One of the authors who attended, Karen Duques, said a friend of mine has started going to Penguin Random House with this new imprint. Have you ever considered doing a children's book? Because I could put you two in touch. And I was like. Yes, thank you. Put me in touch. (laughs) And I was like, yes, I've written many children's books, but I've only tried to sell one. And that was so many years ago and whatever. So I had lunch with this woman, Margaret Anastas, and she showed me a picture of a girl. It ended up not being this girl, but she said, here's a drawing of a character, Princess Charming. What would you do for the story? like, do you want to take a stab at it? And I was like, sure. I love assignments. This is great. feels like school. So like two minutes later, I was like, okay, like, here's what I would do with the whole story. And she literally walked into my kitchen, grabbed a notepad and showed me how to write children's book, like, like how many pages she broke it down with little lines. She's like, now you have to go take your story, write it and put it on each page. And then I did that like an hour later. And on the way to school pickup, out of like the ending, And called her and she's like, that's great. And then that was really it. I had one meeting with her (laughs) in her office and I brought my laptop and we hammered away at it. She's like, okay, I think you have enough to go on here. Why don't you just take that home? And and I was like, let's just finish it. (laughs) So... We just finished it right there in her office. And now I have a second one coming out also about Princess Charming. And then it became this book. So it's just crazy. But the whole story is based on my daughter, my older daughter, who like would try everything when she was younger and just couldn't seem to find her thing. And it seemed like everyone else around her could. And I finally told her, you know what? Your thing is that you never give up. Like seriously, like you pursue it, you try everything and that is your thing. So that's where the book came from. Oh, that's so sweet. That was very long-winded, but that's how it came to be. It wasn't long-winded at all. I'm
0: still stuck on the fact that you were like, yay, I love assignments. (laughs) I do. Hold up.
1: What was that?
0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
2: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything Visit betterhelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, slash moms don't have time.
1: <laughs> you
0: and I could not be more opposite. I have been approached on multiple fronts by either a publisher or, you know, another business saying, This is the book we want to write. Would you be interested in writing it? And as you know, writing is my first passion. It's all I want to do with my time. It's what I do for fun. It's what I've done for fun my whole life. And I'm like. Ugh. it's feels like an assignment. No, <laughs> no, I don't want to do that because for me, it has to just like pour out of me. It has to be inspiration. It has to like come out of like, the depths of my person. It has to come. I can't be told like, write this. And I'm like, okay. You know, but if you're like, Ooh, an assignment. <laughs>
2: I know. I don't know what that says about me. So you're like, I Wri- write an essay about an object that has meaning. I'm like, yes, great. I'll have it to you in an hour. <laughs> I'll tell you what it says about you. It says you'll always be very successful at this.
0: That's right Whereas I will always be beating my head against the wall, and like essentially that wall will just be a team of marketers being like, we can't market this. Why won't you just write the other thing we asked you to write? Why won't you write
2: your assignment? (laughs) You alluded to writing something about like workaholism and all that. Are you writing that or it's just like in your head or tell me about that? So
0: that's, that's actually interesting. That's morphed. It keeps morphing. So I think that one was going to be very memoir-esque. And I've also alluded multiple times already in this conversation to those types of books that want to come out of me. And I think the the struggle I have, and this is where, again, that your, your way of sort of working is always going to be so much more successful than mine, is I find myself constantly trying to catch up or keep up with how much I change and evolve all the time. Mm -hmm. So I'll be writing something like, like about three years ago, two years ago, for about two years, I was deep in the trenches of facing my own workaholism and facing that down was very involved. And there were so many layers to that. There were physical layers where I was very, very sick. There were emotional layers where I was dealing with childhood trauma. And then there were like, mental layers where I was trying to overcome mental habits that just were really deeply entrenched. And, and so I wanted to write about it. And so I start writing raw material. just Like I said, pour it's out of me, you know, it just comes out and I like, I just puke on paper and it all just comes out and it's raw and it's really authentic and it's really vulnerable. Sounds amazing by the way. Well, here's the thing is that I think it could be if I then took that material and then the year after like really honed it into a book. And what happens is the year after I move into like a new period of growth and evolution. And I'm like, Oh, now what I'm dealing with is X, Y, and Z. And that starts to come out of me. I'm like, Oh, and I just start writing that. So I have 40 years of, well, probably that's <laughs> 35 years of rings of raw material that I have a box full of journals from when I was starting, when I was eight years old, like a huge box. I probably have 50 journals from the course of my life. I have a memoir that I wrote when I was like 20, that my older sister kept for me. I have like copious amounts of files on my computer. I have Files. I mean, the amount of notes on my phone, you know, just random. And I, I, I like never seem to find the discipline or the time to just sit down and turn that into something. Which is what I'm trying to. I'm trying to do this year. So I'm gonna okay. channel some of your energy. Wait, I'm gonna start.
2: <laughs> First of all, you should write this for Zippy Books. I started a publishing company. I don't even know if I told you that we're doing.
0: Of, I, remember,
2: I told you. You told me not to do it.
0: Yes, don't do that. I was like, you've got enough on your plate.
2: I didn't didn't do it when I talked to you. You convinced me not to do it. And there were a lot of good reasons with that whole situation that I decided I wasn't ready. But then a year later, I went back to it. And now I have good partners and a great team and it's, it's really fun and it's great. And we have amazing books we've acquired. We've acquired like 16 books. Anyway, you should do it with, well, I won't, we can talk about this later, but I feel like you should do it with us because, you know, you need somebody to, to help you with the material, with like the sculpting of it, Mm -hmm. right? Like you're like, you know, you're making all this fabric and we just need to like, you know, turn it into a dress, right? Yes. Yes.
0: And that is definitely what I need on all fronts of my life. <laughs> I need a Zibby Owens who can just, like put the stitches on the edges of things. Cause my edges are all frayed. Like
2: <laughs> but your fabric is shimmering and beautiful and sparkly and like people can't get enough of it. So <laughs> it doesn't matter what shape it's in really.
0: So that, that's why, so teamwork, that's where teamwork yeah. comes in, you know, yeah. different different and, and I'm going to be really meta now, but I'm going to bring this back to the teamwork of like, cause I actually think this is really important. This is something I like to get on a soapbox about, but the teamwork of molding and shaping little one's minds through story mm-hmm. and yes. how much they need stories like princess charming that are really showing them a world that is the hopeful world. We want them to believe they can live in. Mm -hmm. They believe their, their parents can build for them. They build, they believe that they can build for themselves. Like in order for a child to grow up and be aspirational about like really making the world a better place, they have to have at some point imagined what a better place could look like. And I think their stories really help them with that. And I'm like a very strong lover and believer in an aspirational and idealistic storytelling. And then also We need our children to have a safe outlet where them, they, they can open the door to their shadow side and where like mom and dad might be able to sit down and be like, these are the sort of ugly bits of me that I'm not really comfortable with. What about you? Like, are there any parts of you that you're starting to feel like, especially around the ages of, I feel like seven, eight. Yes. When their individuality starts to blossom there's so much in that time of autonomy building where they step out in this like confident boldness of like, look at me, I'm going to be me, which is exciting and wonderful. But there's so many pitfalls on that road where they're going to fall on their face and they're going to fall on their face because they've been like a total ninny, you know, they're just going to do things really badly and, and they're going to make mistakes. And to know what that means and how to learn from that, how to grow from that, how to apply that, how to talk about that, how to talk through that, like those are things that are equally as important. And for us to be able to walk in the Garden of Eden, but get to know the snake, do you know? Like, I just, I feel like that is really important for kids.
2: I love that. That's amazing. I love that. (laughs) And given that I have a seven and an eight-year-old behind this door, (laughs) both in that very individuation stage. My daughter the other day was like fighting me for something she wanted and I was saying no. And she's like, I am an independent woman. And I was like, you are eight. (laughs) Like, stop it. (laughs) But yeah. yeah. My son is 10 and he has been a
0: fierce force of independence since birth. And so that stage was very painful. It was really (laughs) difficult. It was like, there was a nonstop head against wall, like, when will this kid just listen to what we <laughs> you know? And it is an interesting, very challenging balance for a parent, as a parent, to be like, I really want to raise a child who holds on to that autonomy, you know, who isn't sort yes. of beat down into a certain shape and then held there and told, this is the only shape that's acceptable, be this. You know, I want him to find his shape. Yeah. But- but you let's just full on time my, and you know. yeah, I don't want his shape to have really sharp points and he just scrapes everyone else around him with his shape. Do you know, like there there are there are concerns, like you we we have to mold, we have to shape, we have to guide, we have to mentor, like these, these and these things come into conflict with with our are these desires of like our children are born into a conditional world, but they're unconditional beings, and then we have to put these conditions on them. And it's like, ah, I hate it. It's hate It's so exhausting. It's exhausting. All of it. <laughs> so it really many times, I find myself being like, I don't want to do this. Actually, <laughs> I've decided
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. have
0: to be a parent. <laughs> Yeah. I just want to be the fun
2: auntie who's like, you're amazing. You're so cool. Just yeah. be you. Like, I don't want to be the one who puts conditions on them. And I'm like, what if we do have ice cream for breakfast? What will happen? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, wait. So in addition to your children's book, are, what projects are you really excited about now? What are you acting in? Like, What's your whole thing? What's coming up?
0: Okay. So... Actively, like what's sometimes I go straight to like the imaginary things that I think I'm working on. So I'll go, through the act- <laughs> 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 I'll go to the actual, the actual things that I'm working on. So uh, last year I shot Quantum for Marvel, which is the next Ant Man and the Wasp installment, and that should be coming out next in 2023. So I still have to do reshoots for that, and then there'll be a big press tour for that. It's like there's these sort of never-ending commitments with Marvel, which is which is beautiful because. You never have job security as an actor. And when you do, you can actually relax between projects and sort of follow your passions and just do really cool, interesting, artistic things, which is what I've been trying to do. So I'm obviously, as we're talking about, I'm in the midst of releasing The Demise of Lorna the Lazy, which is act two of The Demise series for The Squickerwonkers. And then I'm also, next week, I'll be recording... Um, I'm doing a voiceover project for a really cool Israeli animated film that is the first and only of its kind, where it's actually not traditional animation. It's classical paintings that have been filmed in a way to make it feel active, but they're actually static images. And it's the story of the destruction of the Second Temple. Wow. Um, and, and so it's a very intense subject matter. And it's a story that is really speaking to a lot of the political and socioeconomic and social issues we, issues we have today, because the, the demise of the, te- the second temple in Israel, originally that that story that was told, the reason why it fell was because of civil infighting amongst the Israeli people. And therefore, it made it very easy for an outside force to come and just take it which at that time was Rome. And currently Israel, of course, is dealing with so many factions within themselves and they're fighting amongst themselves. So it was a film that was released already in Israel. The Israeli prime minister said, I think everyone in my cabinet should watch this film. It should be like mandatory watching for every university student in the country. Like this is a really the most important film we can watch today. And it was so well received, they're going to make an English version. So I'm going to be voicing, yeah, yeah, the only female character as usual. I don't know what this is about, but there is some trend in me that for some reason, every project, I'm like the only woman, nine times out of 10 anyway. And then I'm also, it looks like I might be doing some theater in London early next year. We'll see. It's, It's, I won't say the name or the director or anything because we're still in the process of Solidifying things, but it feels like it's like 99.9% sure that I will be doing that, which I'm very, very excited about because there's nothing this frayed edged artist loves more than being in a room electric with other human beings. Like, I don't actually like acting for a camera, I like acting with other people, like have, having people in the room and feeling their energy and feeding off of their energy. So It'll be the first time I've done that professionally. And I'm very, very excited about that. That is so cool. Very cool. And then the imaginary stuff that I think I'm working on is I'm working on writing a a Bible for a TV show that I want to create. Amazing. Which would be very kind of a big world building thing, much more in line with the kinds of acting projects I've done in my career. And there is a memoir. (laughs) There is a story. Uh, that I am trying to, I'm about to start working on maybe shaping with uh, I have this wonderful agent who I found who has said, let me help you put the, put the edges on your fabric.
2: Oh, good. Uh, well, there you go. Perfect. Yeah. Yes. So hopefully that'll
0: happen. We'll see. It's always a challenge, uh, but I've discovered a new habit. You might have done the same thing. I'm not sure. I've heard a lot of female authors who have done this and they've inspired me. In order to really get any decent writing done as a mother of two children, and a working mother who has like a day job outside of writing, I I generally get up at like three or four in the morning these days. And I just write for like two hours in the morning before the kids get up. And then I actually get writing done. Do you know that has become, and, and I've heard that from other authors, which in the end was something I took to heart and was like, okay, maybe that's what I need to do. Not for the inspired stuff, that can pour out of me at any time. But for that, really, like discipline, get get it into a shape that I can sell is that's that's going to take some serious concentration. So,
2: yeah, there's there's no hope when they're all running around. It's no, uh, I, don't and well, I don't in know how quiet and peace
0: Well, they're in school. I
2: mean, thank God. <laughs> yeah. Every day, every day they're all in school. I'm like, wow. And actually, I'm literally as we're talking, I'm quarantined in here because I have COVID, and I'm like this is actually really efficient. You know, I'm like sitting at my desk. I do this all day anyway. <laughs> so. so are you sleeping in there? No, my bedroom's right across the way, so.
0: Oh my god, You guys I have a pretty amazing house for quarantining. Thank Not you. too
2: shabby. Yeah. I literally said to Kyle, who also had COVID, I was literally like, I would be okay staying in my apartment for the rest of my life. As long as like people kept coming in all the time and I was like always with people and like learning from them and reading and like talking to people. And do, like, I could, I could do it. I could live here forever.
0: Totally. I think that's the personality type that becomes a writer. Cause I'm the same. When, when the lockdowns began in March of 2020, my whole family were like, you've been preparing for this moment your whole life. Yes. Yeah. Like, I am such a recluse. I am such a recluse. that I was like, do you mean that my husband and kids have to stay home with me now? (laughs) I just let my dream come true. Um, Oh my gosh. Well, Evangeline, before we jump off, because I have been always, I think I, I, I'm dying to know, do you put colored covers on your books? No, those are my books. Those are just my books. I don't, how did you end up with the perfect amount of yellow books and orange books and green books and blue books and purple books? How does that happen?
2: I took, first of all, I have eight bazillion books and I get sent books now all the time. And I mean, I do like a podcast every single day of the year. So if I just took all those, and now I've been doing it for four years. So I took all the books out of this whole room. And as you know, it goes all the way around. I dumped them on the floor and I made piles. And that's how I figured out how many to put in there. And then all the overflow I put everywhere else. God, it's my favorite room in your house. I want a library. I don't
0: have a library and I want a library.
2: You go do that then.
0: (laughs) I I should turn my meditation room into a library. Yeah. This is like a form of meditation for me. It is. Yeah. Well, my meditation room has all my books in it because I feel quite meditative when I'm surrounded by books. It helps. It's sort of like really inspiring. Even just seeing spines of books that I know have guided me along my way or have inspired me or have touched me. It's like,
2: oh, it's like they're all in there with me. Totally. Yeah. It's really really good. I know. I feel the same way. Yeah. All these characters sort of dancing in the, in the shelves, you know, you just uh, look at it. Uh, anyway, amazing. Well, thank you for doing this. I'm so excited. What is the, so when is the official date that, that this book comes out? Does it have a date it, or is it, it out? It's out. It's out. It's out. Oh, it came gosh. out okay. on March 15th officially. So, okay. so yeah. amazing. I'm so excited uh, for you.
0: You can get it at thesquickerwonkers.com. That is the exclusive place it's being released. I'm self, I'm a self-published, you know, I have my own publishing house also, but we only publish the Squicker Wonkers. Maybe eventually we'll publish more, but that's all we do right now. And so squickerwonkers.com on Instagram, it's at the Squicker Wonkers. And if you want to know when the next book comes out, because as I said, it's a series of 20 and we're only on book three, then you can sign up to the Squicker Club at com, And I send you emails when a new book's coming out and you'll get like, without any obligation or money paid, you get like free promotions, you get sales that other people don't get. You get like personalized books when other people just get a signed book. And it's it's a straight up perk club. That's it. There's no,
2: there's nothing else. I'm signing up, so I don't miss yeah. the next release accidentally.
0: <laughs> awesome. awesome.
1: awesome. All well,
0: right. Good luck with, with Princess Charming. When does it come out? It came out Tuesday. On Tuesday. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank you. And how does your daughter, older, your daughter, who you wrote it about, what, is she, what does she think of it?
2: She's so proud. She's Aww. so excited. Yeah. How old is she now? She's almost 15. Wow. Yeah. Oh. So and
0: is she still Princess Charming? She is still the same. Still the same. Well, she'll be, she'll be like her mom. She'll be very successful then. We'll see. Having, <laughs> having raw skill and raw talent is overrated. <laughs> you have to have the discipline and the hard work to see it through.
2: That's true. Both is a plus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All um, right. It's so good to see it's you It's so great Thank to you. see you. Thank you for doing this. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And, of course, my new publishing company called Zivi Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids.
1: Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.